Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to make sure you guys have the chance to register for free for Starting Small Summit 2024. We have a very exciting panel this year with the founder of ButcherBox, Safa Mattresses, and online creator Lexi Hensler, the founder of Hugs. Registration is completely free, and you can find more on our website or ideaweek.com, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Barbara Simeon of Sundays, a Scandinavian and West Coast-inspired, thoughtfully curated selection of modern, timeless furniture for your home. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Barbara Simeon. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Cameron. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, Where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like? I grew up in Slovakia, or was born into Czechoslovakia. It was Slovakia um, later on, and I lived there until I was 12. Mm -hmm. I'm one of three girls, had a really great Mm. um, upbringing in Slovakia. My parents loved art and galleries. And so, yeah, just a really good childhood, I would say. And when we were 12, our family moved to Vancouver, BC, Mm. which is where I'm living today. So my teenage years and my school um, and adulthood has been mostly in Vancouver with a couple of short stints away. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Growing up at that age, did you have any aspirations of like entrepreneurship, athletics, or what were some of your, your interests growing up? You know, I kind of vividly remember wanting to be a chef Mm. when I was about nine or 10 years old. I'm not sure where where that sort of came from. My grandma and mom always cooked really amazing home-cooked meals, and we never really ate out at restaurants a lot. So I'm I'm not sure where that inspiration came from. But that's really the only – was that. And then later um, in high school, I became really more interested in – community and social impact and joining various high school clubs. And eventually that led me to study international relations in university. Mm. Amazing. I saw you went on, yeah, you went on to study at British Columbia. Um, what, what was your experience like there? So you just mentioned your degree. What was that overall like for you? Yeah, it was a good experience. I was one of those students that stayed living at home and went to UBC, the local university, with a lot of friends from high school. So mm-hmm. I feel like it didn't necessarily get that experience of like living the dorm life and, you know, living, moving further away. Yeah. But I did have the opportunity to go to grad school and, mm-hmm. and did a master's in international development um, in England for a year. And mm-hmm. that was really wonderful living in like a university town and made some really lifelong friendships there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, going through school, what were some of your aspirations uh, post-graduation that you wanted to do? And then how did that journey end up playing out for you? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, international relations was a focus on development is what I studied. Mm-hmm. And so my dream job um, was to get a job at the UN. I was part of all these model UN conferences and you know, traveled to one in Montreal and was part of a bunch in Vancouver. Um, ended up in the nonprofit sector post university here in Vancouver. So spent um, the first sort of five to eight years of my career with various nonprofits, including fundraising with the local Children's Hospital Foundation. Really great training ground. Mm. Um, and I then had the opportunity to apply for the UN's Young Professional Program, wow. which is 
one of these programs where uh, you sort of put your name in the hat and it's a very long process. It involves, you know, a test and interviews. And I thought, you know, this is so far-fetched, like I'll never actually get a job out of this, but why not? Um, and, and I did two years later, I ended up getting wow. an offer, um, in the program evaluation department at wow. UN headquarters in New York. And so my husband and I moved to New York for, we were there for three years until we had our first son and mm. that made us move back to Vancouver to be closer to family. But my, yeah. my sort of like, you know, 20 year old dreams came true and it was a really amazing experience for sure. Yeah. I feel like this opportunity was a very pivotal point in your journey, life, career, et cetera. Um, What was that experience like at the UN and kind of overall as an evaluation officer? What does that look like if you can paint that picture? Yeah, it was very inspiring, first of all, just, you know, working with people truly from all around the world. Um, and the area that we worked on was evaluate the, the UN, of course, you know, touches so many parts, whether it's development or climate change. I worked there at the time when the sustainable development goals were being developed. And so we would do thematic evaluations of different areas of the UN's work around the world. So we had one or two big evaluation projects Um every year and just work really closely with a team of other evaluators, sometimes got um, to travel to do some on the ground, you know, focus groups and research. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was it was a cool experience for sure. I feel very, very grateful. So overall, you mentioned you had a child, but what led to the relocation then following this opportunity? Was it just to be closer to the family? What was that like? Yeah, my husband's uh, work was more based here in Vancouver. Mm. Uh, Being in Vancouver also meant being closer to grandparents. And so, yeah, yeah, we thought, let's move move back. We now have four kids. So I think Mm. in the end, it was a a good decision to be closer to family. But, you know, both uh, working at the UN and also just living in New York was a really inspiring time for me, Um, being able to to be inspired by the energy of the city, so many creative ideas and entrepreneurs. And it was this dichotomy of sort of having this more like academic type job at mm. the at the UN that was more research-based. Um, and then in the evenings, being able to stroll Chelsea Art Galleries or popping in um, to talk or a pop-up. Like I feel New York has so many of those experiences that are often free and, and accessible. Mm. Um, and I think that was part of the inspiration um, behind another business that I started, which was actually prior to Sundays, I co-founded a salad shop called mm-hmm. Field and Social, which now yep. has four locations in Vancouver, mm. um, really inspired by a lot of, you know, the healthy eating in New York and Vancouver is a super healthy city. And we just didn't have um, a lot of quick serve places like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the first business that I started with a couple of co-founders and I ended up actually being the main operator and running that business for about the first three or four years wow. until uh, we launched the fourth location. And then around that same time, um, the idea for Sunday started brewing wow. and now I'm still involved in, in field for, mm-hmm. you know, a small percentage of my time, but most of my time is now spent on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a huge piece of the story I'd like to grab is Field and Social coming out of New York inspiration, but bringing this back to Vancouver. Um, Where did the the idea come and then where did you meet your co-founders to eventually launch? Yeah, so 
our co-founder, one of them was from high school, a friend of high school. Another one was my husband and then a family friend. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a mix. We all yeah. had different strengths and I definitely didn't see myself as operating the business, but it was sort of, for me, it was a creative outlet. I, th- I think I, you know, I really enjoy like the research data sort of evaluation side, but there is a part of me that I think, um, is creative. And so starting a business gave me that opportunity, whether it was helping to design a really beautiful space. I just really believe that eating this healthy food will taste better in a beautiful space. And now, of course, looking back, I'm like, oh, that made so much sense. I've always had a love for design. But um, so that was a really part, a big part of each location that we built out. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, just learned a lot about operating a quick serve restaurant. It was a steep learning curve and, um, you know, building a team and a lot of part-time team members and and building a great culture so that we would have strong retention because that can be sometimes a challenge um, in quick serve food. And and I think a lot of those lessons um, I'm able to take into the business that we're building with Sundays today. Mm, for sure. Just painting the picture of the growth of Field and Social before we get into Sundays, um, where did you, what location did you launch with? And then how quickly did you guys scale into further locations? Yeah, so we launched, um, it was kind of downtown, not quite in the financial core of Vancouver, but downtown proper. So very much focused on the lunch business. Um, We we were very clear that, you know, the space would have to have beautiful natural light. Like I really had a vision of how I wanted it to feel. And then the second location was actually more like a food court adjacent, not in a food court proper, but sort of picture picture that kind of moment in the heart of the financial district and you know i i wasn't sure when we were opening i'm like is this actually good for the brand yeah um but our designers did an amazing job with the build out and it was sort of like this fresh bright corner Hmm. in an otherwise kind of like dark underground space um and yeah it, it ended up doing really well for us of course the density in that area was better and so that was a good lesson too, sort of mm. like learning about, you know, what e- each unique location will bring. And then the other yeah. two locations were more neighborhoods in Vancouver, um, one more on the east side and the other one just adjacent to downtown Vancouver. And so that grew um, some of our evening and weekend business as well. Mm. I love it. So Sundays comes around the corner in 2019. You have a very yes. yeah, very interesting, I feel like, career journey from the UN to food service and then now into furniture. What led to the foundation of Sundays um, overall? Yeah. So that's a fun story too. My husband's family um, and my other co-founder, his sister, they've been mm-hmm. in the furniture game for a long time, more okay. on the wholesale side through their family business. And our fourth um, co-founder, Noah, we went to school with, and he's got a design background mm. in the furniture space. And the three of us were just starting families. Um, and we really saw this opportunity for a brand that was family-friendly, design-forward, mm. really great quality, and just a curated selection. We, we, you know, we really saw that for a lot of people, furniture shopping can be quite overwhelming. And even to be honest, even for myself, like I was married to someone that was in the furniture space yeah. and it can be overwhelming. It's such a big investment when you're shopping for a couch or for a dining table. 
And, you know, you would end up at these big stores and there's like 50 different sofas and 100 different fabrics to choose from. And I saw how a lot of fashion brands were creating more, you know, capsule collections and sort of more curated spaces and places for people to shop. And we saw that opportunity in the furniture space. Mm. So, yeah, with the existing co-founders that kind of in that furniture space, where did you end up going for sourcing? Did you use some of those partners from from their experience or what did that look like sourcing new products? Yeah. So definitely their experience helped. We, you know, initially started with some of the partners um, that they knew. It also helped timing wise. It was three months before the pandemic and sourcing Mm. actually became quite a challenge and supply chain issues. So having some of those relationships definitely helped. And then We've built a lot of new relationships over the last four years, um, but really maintaining vision on um, keeping a tight line of products um, and continuing to iterate on that. We started with just living room furniture, a few sofas and some coffee tables. And over time, we've added dining and bedroom furniture as Mm -hmm. well. Amazing. Getting into an important topic you brought up was COVID. I'm curious, especially this industry, I'm sure you saw an influx in purchases, giving it's at-home furniture, decor, but also inventory control is probably very tough at this point. What what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, it was definitely both of those things. Um, The steep learning curve for us, you know, as as a new business, you're absolutely right. People were so focused on the home. And the timing in that sense was right. I think they were ready to welcome a new brand. We were able to open a couple of pop-ups in Canada, starting in Vancouver and then in Toronto, because there were so many um, empty retail spaces as Mm. well. Those pop-ups eventually end up turning into more permanent showrooms. Mm. Um, But as you mentioned, supply chain was a real challenge. You know, the cost of shipping and containers, Mm. um, and yeah, just we were sort of learning as we were as we were going because of our faster growth, we would run out of inventory. Um, lead times were so long. And so we really tried really hard um, to maintain a great experience with our customers by trying to be ahead of it with the communication, letting them know if there was any delays. Um, and I will say that like customers during that time, I, I feel like became understanding. We weren't the yeah. only ones experiencing supply chain issues, For sure. um, but it was a lot of thinking on our feet and pivoting. Like pre-orders were not something that we had on our e-com site. We didn't have that functionality when we launched. We thought, no, like we're a brand where we're going to have, you know, a warehouse in the U.S., a warehouse in Seattle, um, a warehouse in Vancouver, B.C. We're going to stock everything. <laughs> uh, but with the pandemic, we we had to enable that functionality of pre-order, for example, and yeah. other pivots like that. Certainly. Getting into, you guys are D to C uh, primarily. Yeah. So getting into like consumer... Um, preferences of buying, especially in furniture, how do you convince consumers in the early stages um, for like sofas, bedding that typically you go by feeling? I can understand tables, etc. by look, but how do you guys uh, manage that marketing? Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's something we talk about our team all the time. You know, how can we convey the quality and sort of like the touch and the more tactile look and feel of it through, sure. is it through photographs, through images? Um partnering with content creators, a swatch program where we can at least send our customers, Mm. you know, swatches of the fabrics because, 
you know, a shade of cream will look different in natural light than it is in a dimly lit room. And, and, um, and then we have tried to open these strategic pop-ups in certain markets, Mm pop-ups or showrooms so that customers are able to come and touch and feel the products, Mm. um, as well. It definitely helps. Amazing. You, you mentioned some of those products that you first launched with, but at what point um, did you guys add on some further extensions and new categories and what were those next categories? Yeah, fairly quickly. I would say dining launched about six months into the business, starting mm-hmm. with our field collection. And the fun story there actually mm-hmm. is that collection was initially designed for one of our field and social locations. And mm-hmm. the customers really resonated with these beautiful solid wood tables and these <laughs> field stools that could be, um, you know, multi-purpose, a stool or a table in an instant. And so we ended up bringing that into the Sunday's collection. And that's still one of our best-selling mm. collections today. And then Bedroom launched um, shortly after, um, along with some some rugs. Mm. Amazing. How do you guys look for adding um, new pieces to your collection? I know it could be tough, especially um, giving products that are already selling good, but how do you, how yes. do you kind of evolve with the times and different collections, maybe seasons, etc.? Yeah, I would say our product team does a really good job. You know, they're very discerning about what makes it in. They work closely with our creative team in terms of, you know, what are the trends, but also yeah. how do we maintain pieces that are sort of like classic and will be long lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's research. And then often when we launch a new collection, we start very small in one or two mm materials or colors and then when we start seeing traction that's when we might expand it or for example the field dining collection i mentioned earlier started in one size now it comes in three sizes so Mm. that's how we try and sort of like test and iterate as well and the fact that we've opened showrooms has also enabled us to get a lot of really great feedback from customers in person and we get a lot of really great ideas from customers you know like oh we would love to see some darker colors in some of your so or we would like to see more storage in your beds. And and so then those ideas help inform our product team as well. Certainly. Getting into um, kind of your customer main demographic, what would you say, first of all, is that? And how would you describe um, Sundays within your industry, kind of like luxury, casual? Where's that leaning towards, would you say? Yeah, I would say... I would call it maybe like accessible um, luxury, a little bit aspirational. Families are definitely a key customer from our of ours. You know, young families um, that are looking for for that upgrade, like those pieces that are really longer lasting, that will stand the test of time. That believe in that idea of sort of like fewer better things. You know, mm. quality over quantity um, and multifunctionality, and and knowing that we build a lot of our collections with that in mind. So like Mm. performance fabrics for our sofas. And again, like all four co-founders are parents of little kids. Um, So we get it, you know, how you sort of like family proof the pieces, but we care about design. So you still want it um, to be beautiful and aesthetically pleasing in your home. Certainly. Um, Looking at the product offering overall, you guys have a couple different categories, but what would you say is that top seller? You might have that top seller within each category, but overall, what would you say? Yeah, I would say um, sofas do really well for us and and beds actually as well. Yeah, so those are um, 
Movie Night Collection has been a huge success, and and also um, the Cloud Bed Collection is one of our best-selling mm. collections as well. Amazing. Looking at, um, so say customer orders, kind of that journey, um, what does that customer satisfaction look like for you guys as far as like warranties, et cetera? Because I mean, this is an investment um, for the home. Um, I assume that you guys, I haven't looked into it deeply yet, um, but what does that look like for customer satisfaction, a trial guarantee, et cetera? Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's, you know, the customer and an amazing customer a to Z experience is so important to us. It's actually one of the reasons we offer free uh, white glove delivery, so free mm. assembly on larger pieces as well. Yeah. Um, we've got a 30-day you know, return policy, um, the swatch program that we offer, and we actually offer a two-year product warranty, which is um, yeah, a longer period. I think a lot of companies offer a one-year warranty. So that's yep. that's some of the ways that we stand behind our product. Certainly. And a really amazing and knowledgeable customer care team, whether that's in our showrooms or on the phone or chat to be able to answer our customers' questions. Getting into um, something I feel like especially in furniture, um, especially luxury furniture, you can see long lead times for mm-hmm. receiving product. I feel like I, you should definitely elaborate on that because I feel like that's where you guys really stand out. Like I'm looking at the site right now and December 15th is an estimate if I were to order like a, a pretty large sofa right now, which is yes. amazing. Yeah, no. And if you live near one of our warehouses, it could be at your place within one to two weeks. Wow. So we're really trying to keep our, you know, best selling items in stock. I think we're in a much better position than we were during the pandemic where we were yeah. always playing catch up. Like, yes, you know, sometimes we, we sort of like un- could under order something that we, you know, that, that we maybe um, are launching for the first time and it's like this surprise excitement about it, but yeah. trying to be bullish on those new introductions so that our stock position is good because you're absolutely right. Yeah. That matters to customers. When you're at that decision-making point, you've chosen the sofa, the last thing you want is to be waiting months for yeah. it to arrive. Certainly. I, I feel like we can bounce off that point slightly here, but from your point of view and for the listeners out there, what would you say mainly differentiates uh, Sundays as a whole in comparison to your competitors? I think we've done a lot of the thinking for the customer. You know, as I mentioned earlier, that idea of like curation, there's so much um, information overload, I think, out there in the world. And, you know, we really understand good design, furniture, um, and... Yeah, we've done the thinking for you, whether that's on the design itself, whether it's that exact shade of, you know, cream or gray that will be the right fit for your um, sofa. And I think our quality as well is like super consistent across our categories um, and across our product offering. Amazing. Well, Barbara, I like to conclude uh, each episode with this, with your experience so far. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret, what would that be? Hmm, that's such a great question. There's so many things, but yeah. I think one thing that comes to mind is let go earlier and ask for help. I think as entrepreneurs at the beginning, it's tempting to try and do it all yourself or you want to. I remember when you know I was operating field day to day, I was really hesitant 
to hire our first store manager. I thought, no, like I, I'm, I'm the keeper of this culture. And mm. eventually when we ended up hiring them, she was much better at the job than I was, you know, mm. the culture only got better. And there are experts out there that can help you. And then you can focus on driving the vision forward, um, kind of like focusing on around the bend instead of being so in the details. I love it. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Sundays at sundays.company.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.